Thanks for listening to one of our Sunday messages at Crossroads Bible Church. We gather on Sunday mornings at 9.15 and 10.45 a.m. To find out more about our church or to connect with any of our ministries, visit our website at crossroadsbible.org. We hope you enjoy the message and pray it encourages you as you follow Jesus. So again, my name is Nick, and we're going to start this brand new series today that is called New Beginnings. I knew what it was. I just wanted to look. Um, New Beginnings. We're going to take next three weeks. We're going to talk about change. We're going to talk about our need for change, what it looks like, and what happens afterwards. And it's going to be really cool. I'm really excited about it. It's going to lead into a series on spiritual discipline called Rest. Um, So today, I'm going to talk about our need for change. And I'm going to start with a story about me. Is that okay? (laughs) So, uh, I don't know, man, this was probably like 10 years ago. Uh, I was going, we went to this thing called CFAT, Servants in Faith and Technology in in Alabama. We would go and we would go through these like simulations of like third world missions to like train us for how to do those things. It was pretty cool. And at the end of the week, we would play, uh, we'd play soccer. And in the middle of Alabama, there was this community of Guatemalan guys, Guatemalan guys that would come and play soccer on this field every week. And so we would go and we would join them. And it was really fun. Um... And I was a big soccer player growing up, so it was kind of one of those things that I was really amped about because it got, gave me a chance to like prove my coolness to everybody around me. And so when we would play, uh, this first time that we got there, I remember something very strange was happening. We were playing soccer, and I kept hearing them say the word nacho. They kept saying nacho, nacho, nacho over and over again. And, and it usually was directed towards me, and I, I had no idea why they were calling me nacho. They had not seen me eat nachos that I know of. I was not wearing anything that indicated I liked nachos. It was just this strange nickname they decided to bestow on me in that moment. So when we took a break, I used my very limited Spanish to ask them, why are you calling me nacho? And uh, just go into a sub point before I give you the the punchline here. Uh, I used to be really good looking. Like... (laughs) I know it's difficult to to see through it, but I was once a very attractive individual. I really was. I was in great shape. I played college soccer, so I had everything going on, and and it was all in the right place. And (laughs) it was possible that I did not notice that at a certain point after college soccer ended, I stopped doing all the things that I needed to do to keep everything looking good. And so maybe I had a little bit of, I don't know what I really look like to other people syndrome. And so when they told me, they're calling me Nacho because I looked like that guy Nacho Libre. (laughs) I was taken aback. I kind of couldn't believe it. And I had to admit they were right. They were right. I had forgotten to do things that helped me look good, and so I started to look like an overweight, middle-aged actor named Jack Black in a movie about an overweight, middle-aged wrestler. So, yeah, I did not realize that I needed to change, but in that moment, I knew it. Did I do all the things I needed to do to change? Probably not, but I knew it in that moment. I knew it. Now, it's sort of the end of the year. We're coming up on this New Year's resolution time. Maybe you guys are are really cool and you've already had that conversation. I'm just trying to pretend that it's not happening. Uh, Earlier when we were backstage, someone was praying for the 2020, and Delenn and I both looked at each other like, is it really 2020? It's ridiculous time. 
It's that end of the year. And so resolution time is upon us. And I wanted to look at the top three, according to the research I found on the good old internet, of what the top three resolutions are. So number one is the most obvious one. It is get healthy, you know, lose weight, eat better, exercise. I wonder if I could ask the crowd, what do you think number two is? Anybody? Save money. Save money. What was the other one over here? Less what? Less stress. That'd be nice. What do you got, sir? Drink more water. Travel. That's a good one. Let's, let's see what it really is. Number two is save money. Save money. Now, I'm, unless you're cheating and looking it up. I doubt you're going to guess number three, but maybe you'll have something in the right category. So what do you think number three would be? What's the third most popular resolution? Church. Go to church? That's a good answer. Topical. See family. See more family? That's a good one. That is a really good one. More sleep. Love your family. Exercise. Those are all good and, and redundant. What is the third one? It is... <laughs> Do something for self-care. I don't know. Most of that stuff probably applies, right? I don't know. Those are the three most common. You see, here's the thing. We all know that there are things about us that we want to change. Maybe there's even things about us that we really need to change. And over the next three weeks, we're going to talk about change as we kick off this new year, but not just, you know, from the typical self-help perspective, but more from, obviously, because we are in church, God's perspective on how to change. And so I want to say this first thing to you, and I want you to let it sink in as we go to the next thing. Change is hard, but deep down, we know that it is needed. I doubt, doubt that there are any of those among us that would stand up and declare with confidence, I don't need to change. I'm perfect. Everything about me is right where it should be. I doubt those people are here. I know that those people exist. I've met them. But I don't know that any of them are here. You see, there are many reasons why we don't follow through on our resolutions or just on our desires to change. For me, I know that sometimes I feel like I'm just, I'm, I'm too far gone. I'm too far away from that standard that, I, that I've set for myself. I'm too far removed from where I think I should be. And you might think that because I'm a pastor and I study the Bible and I read the Bible, that it would be easier for me to understand these things. But the reality is, is actually sometimes the Bible, if I, if I look at it the wrong way, it can actually kind of make it harder for me because when I look at the men and women in the Bible, these great characters that we all know of, I tend to think of them as special. Like, way better than I'll ever be. And sometimes I think I even set them as my standard. Like unless I know the word and know, know who God is like Paul did, or unless I'm as zealous and passionate as Peter, or unless I'm as in, full of integrity and morality as like David, I'm never going to be who I want to be. But, you know, the reality is most of the well-known men and women probably couldn't even get a job, let alone pass a background check at a church today. Like, hardly any of them. Let's look at our friend David. 
all right? David, he's just this wonderful, beautiful character in the scripture. He has so many nicknames attributed to him. He was a shepherd. He was armor bearer to the king. He was the commander of Saul's army. He was the king's son-in-law. He was called prince over Israel, king over Judah, king over Israel. I've never been called any of those things. He was called by God, a man after my own heart. That's a beautiful thing to be called. But see, when you, you know, we all know the story, and if you don't, I'm going to tell it to you. He also secretly slept with one of his friend's wives. And then when she became pregnant and it was possible that he was going to be found out, he had his, you know, he had this woman's husband killed like a mafia don. Like he ordered his execution in a way that would make no, no, nobody would ever suspect him. He eliminated the evidence and he just went on with his life. He was all those things, but he was also that. He also did that. And you might think, well, he was probably so riddled with guilt and so, you know, just couldn't handle it that he confessed. But no, he was perfectly content to go on and never talk about it again until the prophet Nathan called him out. And it was only then that he confessed. David was a flawed man. Very messed up. He was also, if you really look at it, kind of a terrible father. And not that great of a husband. Let's look at our friend Jacob, who was later named Israel. You might think that the namesake for God's chosen people would be a man full of morality and integrity and faithfulness. But no... Again, no, not really. He, with the help of his mother, tricked his blind, ailing father into giving him the firstborn birthright. That's not cool. I mean, he tricked an old man who was on his deathbed to give him what he did not deserve. And he didn't do it alone. His mommy helped him. And this led to, I mean... He was a terrible father. He married four different women and clearly favored one over the others. And this led to those other sons being so jealous that they sold this son, Joseph, into slavery. And then those guys, the ones that sold him into slavery, became the namesake for the 12 tribes of Israel. You can't work here if you've done that. (laughs) You you just can't. It's going to come up on the background check and we're going to say, no, I'm sorry. None of these people, though, none of these people were too far gone. None of them were so removed from who they should be that they could not be brought back and redeemed by God's grace. You see, it's hard to believe, especially for us in a culture that prides itself on hiding its failures and always making sure people only see the best of it, it's hard to believe that God would choose such people to advance his narrative, to declare his glory, to make his name known. But see, this is, this is one of just the most beautiful things about God is that he uses unbelievable people, the flawed and the feeble. He uses people like you and me. And you see, it's not just in the Old Testament that he did this. Look at our good friend Paul. Paul, the author of most of the New Testament, for a long period, was extremely militant towards Jesus. His goal in life was to arrest anyone who believed in Jesus. And he became Paul, this great, powerful, passionate man who changed the world. 
Guys, I don't like to be super topical, but we're on the subject of God using the feeble and the weird. Look at Kanye West. We could get deep into the weeds on this debate, and I've been on both sides of it, but here's the fact of the matter. This man with millions and millions of followers is proclaiming that Jesus is king, and that's magical. You hear it on the radio, it's on TV, it's on the internet. Kanye West, who was once not that way, is now proclaiming the name of Jesus in a powerful and simple way, and you just can't get around that. He uses unbelievable people who are not too far gone. Nobody is too far gone to be redeemed. You know, maybe another reason we have trouble changing or following through on these things is maybe some of us are carrying shame. We are too ashamed of what we've done to do the work of confession and repentance in order to move beyond that thing. And here's the thing about shame. Shame is like this heavy anchor that holds us down in the exact place we don't want to be. Shame is not the first step toward recovery, but rather the first step back toward what caused the shame in the first place. Look at our good friend, Peter. Peter, friend of Jesus, disciple of Jesus, followed him around, was a fisherman, and then followed Jesus and became one of his three main guys. Peter is maybe one of my favorite people in Scripture because he's crazy. Peter was so impulsive. He often acted and spoke way before he thought. And when, one of my favorites is when Jesus reveals his glory on the mountain to, G, to James, John, and Peter. And, you know, we see Jesus in his full glory. And he's like floating in the air. And he's glowing. And then Elijah and Moses just sort of appear out of nowhere. James and John are speechless. They can't speak. They're just standing there in awe of this thing. And Peter just had to say something. Couldn't just sit quietly. Couldn't just think to himself. He had to say something. And what he said makes no sense. It's just so silly. He says, hey, guys, could I make us some houses so that we all can just stay here forever? And the best part of the story is that Jesus, it says, Jesus looked at him and moved on. (laughs) Like, just kind of gave him one of those side glances, like, and then moved on with what he was doing. It's crazy. Peter is so funny. He just, he, he's so impulsive. He's so impulsive. And so much so that, you know, it's funny, but sometimes Jesus got mad and literally called him Satan. Like Jesus turned to Peter, his, one of his top three guys, the guy who he said is going to make the cornerstone of the church and said, get behind me, Satan. Now, if Jesus calls you Satan, there needs to be a moment to just check back and look. And, well, what's the problem here? Really do some self, like self-introspection. I can't, I can't speak. It's a problem. It's a problem. And when Jesus was arrested, Jesus was arrested. Peter pulls his sword. And I just have to stop and say, did the disciples all carry swords? When they're walking into town, do you see them with their swords and their scabbards just like rolling? I don't think so. Peter must have just had some secret sword hidden away under his little tunic or something. Because no, the disciples didn't carry swords. And all of a sudden, Peter brandishes this weapon and just starts hacking away and ends up cutting the ear off of the servant of the high priest. There are guys whose ears you cut off, and there are guys whose ears you don't. This was one of the guys you don't cut his ear off. And it's embarrassing because he does this, and he probably thinks, yeah, I'm going to stop these guys. And Jesus, the one who's being arrested, the one Peter's trying to save and protect, says, chill. And then he not only does that, he heals the guy whose ear he just cut off. Peter was impulsive and crazy. 
And later that night, you know, Peter famously denies three times that he even knew who Jesus was. A couple hours before, he's brandishing weapons and cutting off ears to save the man, promising him, promising him things at dinner. And then when it comes down to it, the most simple of things, like, do you know this guy? He repeats over and over again, no, no. Now, if that were me, if I'm to put myself in Peter's shoes, I would feel tremendous shame and embarrassment at what I've done. And not just in that moment, but then I'd start to look back and say, did I ever, ever really do anything right? Have I ever done anything that Jesus wanted me to do? Have I ever been helpful? All of that shame and embarrassment can weigh you down. So much so that Peter goes back to what he was doing before Jesus found him in the first place. Goes right back to the water. Gets on a boat, gets some nets, and goes fishing. And that's, that's where Jesus finds him again. In John 21, he shows up, Jesus shows up, and he helps them catch a bunch of fish just like he'd done before. And then they come in, and he's got breakfast for him, and he's just sitting there and talking, and he looks at Peter. And he says, Peter, do you love me? That's an awkward question over breakfast, especially when there's other guys around. Peter, do you love me? Peter says, yeah, of course I do. And Jesus says, feed my lambs. And he says it again, do you love me? And he says, yes, you know that I love you. And he says again, feed my sheep. And it, it, three times he does this. Three times he denied him. Three times he's asked to remind him that he loves Jesus. You know, Jesus could have taken that moment and said, hey, Peter, remember when you denied me? Let's talk about that. Hey, Jesus, hey, Peter, remember when you said that ridiculous thing on the mountain? Hey, Peter, remember when I called you Satan? Hey, Peter, remember when you cut the ear off? Hey, Peter, remember, 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 remember. Jesus doesn't do that. He doesn't do that. He doesn't pull out the laundry list of failures that Peter had accumulated. Instead, he just asks him, do you love me? And if so, let's go back to what I called you to in the first place. Let's feed my sheep. Let's do this. Shame is not something that God deals in. He is not the bringer of shame. In Romans 8.1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Revelation 3.19, to those whom I love, I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. Simon was known, Peter was known as the zealot. I don't, I don't like to pretend that I know the heart of Jesus when he writes things, but to me, this almost feels like a reference to his friend Peter. He's telling us to be like him and repent of those things that hold us back. Shame cannot be the reason that we don't change. Jesus has given us many, many reasons and told us over and over again, I don't shame you. I don't hold these things back. There is no condemnation. Repent, repent be zealous. But yet we do. We let, it, we let it hold us back. Number three, I think another reason that we end up not doing what we're supposed to be doing, not change the way we want to, is because we lack motivation. I think we can lack motivation. It's hard to make ourselves do these things. One of my least favorite things on television is The Biggest Loser. 
I hate this show. It's annoying. You got these people, they're obviously in need of help. All of these people know they need to lose weight, but they just haven't been able to do it. And why? Well, it's simple. They haven't had full-time, super-fit coaches devoted to them every moment of every day, monitoring everything they eat, say, and do for 30 weeks. That's all it takes. (laughs) That's all we need, guys. If you really want to change, you just need that. I don't like it. It's not fair. Most of us don't have that option. We have to muster that motivation and determination ourselves. We have to do the best with what we actually have. You know, we, we homeschool our kids, just, just to make you uncomfortable, um, we homeschool our kids, and one of the things I tell them all the time when we're coming up against something that my, like my daughter, she's, she struggles with math, and so sometimes it gets emotional for her. She doesn't want to do it. It's hard, and I'll say to her, I'll say, Kate, you don't have to do everything right. You just have to do your best. And I think when it comes to our lack of motivation, we feel like, It's straight A's or nothing. It's perfect turnaround or nothing. It's lose 200 pounds in 30 weeks or nothing. That's just not the case. It's just not the case. I come back to the same story in scripture over and over again, the story of the talents, the story of the man who goes away and gives money to his servants. In Matthew 25, we have these three men. They work for this guy who clearly has a lot of money. And he's going away on some long journey. And he says to one guy, he says, look, I'm going to give you a bunch of stuff and I need you to take care of it. When I come back, we'll settle accounts. And he goes to another guy. I'll give you some, not as much as this guy, but some. And you're going to do the same thing. And the last guy, look, I'm going to give you a little bit. All right, I'm going to give you a chance. Here's a little bit. See what you can do with it. So they take it. The first two guys, they invest it and they double the money. It's a pretty sweet little deal. Then the third guy, he decides... I'm just going to hide it. There's, there's no way I'm going to lose it. I'm going to make sure I keep it so that when he comes back, I'm just going to give him what he gave me and everything will be fine. I'm not going to try, but I'm also not going to fail. So that's the safe play. And of course, the man comes back. He congratulates the first two. You did a good job. Thank you for what you've done. Come and live in, live in, in my kind of lifestyle now. You get to come live like I do. And this third guy, you're out. You didn't even try. And see, the thing is, he's not punished because he didn't return any investment. It's not, it's not punished because he didn't make any money. He's punished because he didn't even try. He did not even make an attempt. Stagnation, staying still, not even trying is not an option for us as followers of Christ. We have been given too much. God has given us talents, treasures, spiritual resources that we cannot let go to waste. You know, the the disciples, after Jesus died, they were hiding in a room, locked room, when Jesus showed himself and called them to action. And then again, they were hiding in a room on the day of Pentecost, not out there trying to talk to people, trying to share the gospel, not doing anything that God told them to do. But they're sitting in a room hiding when all of a sudden a wind blows through and changes the world. They didn't have, they could not muster that motivation to go and do what God called them to do. Because here's the thing, wherever you are, no matter what room you're hiding in, no matter what you're avoiding, God is calling you into action. And we all have our very own super fit spiritual coach 24-7 called the Holy Spirit that guides, pushes, motivates 
All of these things that we think that we can't do on our own, God says, I will help you do them if you would rely on me. We cannot be stagnant. We have to move and we don't have to do it on our own. Because you see, it's okay to not be okay, but it's not okay to stay that way. And I apologize for the rhyming nature of that phrase. It sounds a little cheesy, but it's not mine. I stole it. It is okay to not be okay, but it is not okay to stay that way. Proverbs 28, 13 says, whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. We are not meant to do this alone. We are not meant to go it alone and try by ourselves. I think about, when I think about phrases like this, don't go it alone, we have to rely on God. I think about the story of Joshua in the battle of Jericho. I think about this strange moment in the history of Israel where God had just led them across the river Jordan, parted the waters for them a second time, and brought millions of people across into the promised land. And the first thing he tells them, these men who are ready to fight, they're ready to draw their swords, they're ready to siege the city, they're ready to take it down. And God says, why don't we just march for a week or so? Do we have the trumpet guys? They're like in the back, like, yeah, we're here. Yeah, you guys up front, let's all blow trumpets and stuff and then it'll just fall down. That is not the prescribed method for taking a city. There were no doubt men in that, men in that group that knew military history, that knew how to take a city, that had their plans ready, they had their, their ideas ready to go to share and say, this is how we do it. And God's like, no, we're just gonna march. I, I just want you to march and then at the end we're gonna yell and blow trumpets and it's just gonna fall down. The reason I think about this story is because if I was in that line of people marching, my silly, ridiculous inclination would be to say, guys, this isn't the right way. Let's draw our swords and attack the wall. This is stupid. This isn't going to work. Let's charge the wall. And there I'd be running up against this enormous wall, hacking at it with my sword, expecting something to happen. The reason I think of that is because God calls us to do ridiculous things that often make us feel like it's never going to work. You know, when we want change in our lives, God says, come to me and I will bring you rest. When our, all of our inclination says, let's go out there and let's make it happen. Let's pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and make this change happen. Let me summon my own motivation. But God says, come to me. God says, come to me. God equips us for that change. You want to go it alone? Go it alone. Try it. Hack the wall of Jericho and see what kind of damage you're going to make. Nobody is too far gone. If David, the adulterous murderer, who was a terrible father and husband, can be redeemed and used to carry the narrative of God, so can you. Shame does not have to anchor us in our failures. God says you are free from condemnation. Paul asks these two rhetorical questions in Galatians. He says, did you receive the spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Meaning, did you cause the Holy Spirit to enter into you? 
And he says, having been begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? So now that you've got this Holy Spirit, is it on you to do all the work? No. The Spirit of God is indwelling within us so that we might live as he lived, that we might go as he goes, that we might be guided by him and not by our own strength, not by our own will, not by our own determination, not by the level of of motivation that we have within us, but by that which God has implanted in us. And that is where we're going to be going this week, this next week. We're going to be talking about change. We're going to talk about how do we, yet, do we allow God to make these changes within us? How do we not draw the sword ourselves, but rather let God guide us and direct us and change us? Let me pray for us. God, you are so good and strong and wise. God, you love us and you care for us and you protect us. And God, I, I'm so grateful for this, this season that we've had, this, this blessing of, of Christmas and the incarnation that came with it. And I pray that, that we would continue to live with that much grace and that much love, that we would continue to look at the world around us in a, as a, in a way that asking how can we bless them instead of be blessed by them? How can we love others instead of seek love from everybody? God, I pray that you would help us to find the motivation that we need. God, that you would provide us with what we need, that you would equip us for this change. And that we would not feel too far gone, God, that we would not feel the shame that accompanies sin, but rather that we would rely on you. God, you're good. We need you. It's in your name I pray these things.